1: This is Let's Talk About Myths Baby, the podcast where I, live, tell you super weird stories about ancient Greek mythology. First off, thank you to everyone who's been listening to the first two episodes. Um, It was really exciting. If this is the first time you're hearing it, what are you doing? There's a whole two more just waiting to be binged. It's not that long. It's really not binging, but there you go. It's 2017. Everything's binging. Excuse me, I'm sitting here with a gigantic wine glass with only a small amount of wine in it, so it's actually quite difficult to drink from. In any case, this week we're carrying on with our good friend Zeus, king of the gods, ruler of Olympus, an all-around awful human being, or I guess not quite a human being, whatever. Anyway, this episode is devoted to a selection, that's right, only a selection of Zeus's many encounters with women and one man that aren't his wife, Some are consensual, and many are very much not. Basically, this is the story of all the people Zeus straight-up tricked into having sex with him. Just a warning, this episode contains many not-at-all-descriptive instances of rape. It's important to note that when it comes to telling ancient Greek myths, they're fiction, but also because these stories were primarily told by men and they apparently just used the word rape to describe basically anything they wanted and they used it to describe like abduction and also actual rape, but it was never treated as troubling, which is of course a problem in itself. But my point is if I don't treat it as troubling, it's just because it's a story and I'm not trying to be a dick. Anyway, we're going to start today's collection of stories with the so-called encounters that led to the births of the second generation of Olympian gods. Um, since in episode 1 I told the story of how the first generation of Olympians came to be, it seems only reasonable to continue now with the second generation. And they're basically all Zeus's children, so it works into this whole theme I've got going on. Now, as we know, Zeus is married to Hera. It's important to note that Hera takes this union seriously. Zeus, on the other hand, seems to consider himself above the rules of order. Zeus is king, after all, and what has history taught us if not that rulers tend to feel they can do whatever they want? This is episode three, Zeus, king of the gods and creepy old man who tricks women. First up on our list is Matus and the birth of Athena, Zeus's favorite child. Matus was a titan, or titaness if you want to get gendered with your nouns, which I don't. Chronologically, it's unclear when this went down, given Zeus ultimately locks the titans up, but regardless, Metis is a titan. She's wise and she's cunning, and she's got some trickster qualities as well. Zeus, as king of the gods and giant slut, has sex with Metis, and apparently he immediately fears the consequences. As with most men, he does not seem to have considered the consequences beforehand because there was an offer of sex. So he has sex with Metis, and he fears the consequences because it's foretold that she will bear him children, one of which will be more powerful than him. And he is, after all, the son of Kronos, who was the son of Uranos, and we all remember how that went down. So of course Zeus does what any rational person would do after they choose to have sex with someone and then regret it because they would have a child that overthrows them. He eats Metis. But alas, it is too late and Metis is already pregnant because Zeus has rocket sperm, apparently. And this is Greek mythology, so eating her does little to stem the pregnancy from developing further. Instead, Metis immediately begins constructing a helmet and robe for her fetal daughter. This is all from within Zeus, mind you. That's right, Metis is alive and functioning within Zeus, because mythology. <laughs> it's great. So. Here she is just hammering away at this helmet using some sort of internal forge, and poor Zeus is really suffering from all the noise. He's got a tough life, you know? So he develops an awful headache, the poor guy, and his solution is to have Hephaestus, the god of the standard, you know, external forge, cleave at Zeus's head with an axe, you know, as we all do to save ourselves from a migraine. In fact, I'm feeling one coming on now. I wonder where my hatchet is. So Hephaestus cracks open Zeus's head and bam, out pops Athena. She's born a fully grown adult. She's fully clothed in a helmet and the robe that her mother made for her. And she's armed with a shield and weapons. And she utters a deafening war cry as she springs from the crack in Zeus's head. Athena is badass from day one. The annoying thing about this story, though, is that the mythology at large takes this to mean that Zeus conceived Athena himself, which is obviously bullshit, because patriarchy. So, there are so many references to Athena being basically a pseudo-virgin like virgin birth, like Zeus is the new Virgin Mary, sure, but fuck that, because Metis was her mom, and it only makes sense, frankly, because Athena's the goddess of wisdom, and Metis was also all about wisdom, and the word Metis even means wisdom in ancient Greek. So fuck the idea that Zeus had her all on his own. We know it doesn't work that way. Next up is Leto and the births of Apollo and Artemis. So Leto was the daughter of two titans. She was the goddess of womanly demure and motherhood. Basically, she was the opposite of everything I ever want to be, but that's beside the point. Leto's story, when it comes to Zeus, is fairly vague. Basically, the myths say that her hidden beauty, probably something to do with her being demure, catches the eye of ever Zeus. So Zeus, taking a liking to Leto, like I said, he doesn't think much of marital, va- marital vows, as we'll learn endlessly, um, and he impregnates her with twins, What we will also learn endlessly is that Zeus has arguably the most powerful sperm in history. He literally never fails to impregnate a woman. It's troubling, honestly. So Leto is pregnant with twins, and of course Hera finds out. Spoiler, Hera always finds out. And she doesn't take this well. If it is a certainty that Zeus will impregnate a woman, it is an equal certainty that Hera will find out and punish that woman. In her jealousy, she causes all the lands of Earth to shun Leto, making it so that Leto can't find anywhere to give birth to her babies. Why is it that women blame other women? It's like Jerry Springer, but ancient. So Leto is searching everywhere on Earth, just for a place to give birth, and finally she finds an island which is not attached to the Earth, it simply floats. Because of that disconnect, it doesn't have the same restraints that Hera put on the rest of the world. This island is Delos, and it's what the ancient Greeks considered the center of the Cycladic Islands. Frankly, I've looked at a map and can't tell you what they were talking about, but I guess they didn't have maps and just gave it a solid guess. The Cycladic Islands, or the Cyclades, are better known as the Greek Islands, but Cyclades just has such a better ring to it, so I think we should just bring that back. On this island, Lido is finally able to give birth, which really must have been such a relief. Like, she's just waddling around all gigantic, full of twins, just trying to get them out. First, Leto gives birth to a daughter, Artemis, the older of the twins. Artemis will become the goddess of the hunt. She stays a virgin and is pretty hardcore. And apparently, she's quite the prodigy early on, because shortly after she's born, she then acts as midwife for the birth of her twin brother, Apollo. You know, totally standard, one twin helping give birth to the other one. Apollo, Artemis' twin brother, becomes the god of music, truth and prophecy, healing, the sun and light, plague, poetry, and more. How plague gets in there is beyond me. One of these things just doesn't belong. Apollo, as the god of prophecy, takes the island of Delos as his sacred location. Delos becomes the sanctuary to the cult of Apollo along with Delphi on the mainland, and they both ultimately house the two famous oracles. Now we're at Maya, and the birth of Hermes. Maya is one of the Pleiades, a nymph. Now, I've been binge listening to the last podcast on the left lately, so this word means something so, so different now. Maya is a nymph and not a member of the alien race that's been secretly controlling and living among us since the 40s. So the Pleiades are also a constellation of stars, which I imagine is where the name of the alien race came from. And those stars were named the Pleiades because of the nymphs were eventually placed in the sky as stars forever pursued by Orion. I guess he used his belt. Somehow, like that? I don't know. The constellations are not really my thing. Except for them being named after Greek gods, I know basically nothing else. So, Maya is the daughter of the Titan Atlas and the Oceanid Pleione. Oceanids were basically ocean nymphs. So, the Pleiades, Maya, and her sisters were born on Mount Kylini and were mountain nymphs. So, Maya, in turn, spends all her time hanging around the mountains, and as a rule, she doesn't like to consort with gods because she's smart that way. But Zeus, of course, would have none of that and basically just sneaks up on her and rapes her because that's just how you do in ancient Greece. It's also, again, not treated as troubling at all. It's just like a fact, like, oh yeah, and then he raped her, the usual. So that's great. And you guessed it, Maya is of course impregnated because as we've learned many times already, Zeus's seed is about as persistent as he is. And ultimately Maya gives birth to the God, Hermes. Now Hermes is the trickster God like I mentioned, he really was quite a bit like the cute little fellow in Disney's Hercules with his little winged sandals and his winged helmet. So after giving birth to Hermes, Maya wraps him in blankets and she goes to sleep. You know, she's fucking tired. But there's something super weird about Hermes as a baby, and he basically reversed Benjamin buttons like super hard, almost instantly. And while Maya is sleeping, just having given birth to Hermes, he crawls away to Thessaly and by the time it gets dark on his first full day of life, he's stolen some of Apollo's cattle. Apollo being this super weird no- newborn's like half-brother, like I said, trickster is the word they used to describe him. So he's only been alive like 24 hours and he's stolen a bunch of cattle before he proceeds to then invent the lyre from a tortoise shell. That's right, the musical instrument. Just his kids are all prodigies or something. I mean, it's just weird. So Maya rightly, refuses to believe that Hermes is the thief of the cattle, because that's Cray. Zeus sides with Apollo because patriarchy, and I guess in this case it was also the truth, but whatever. Anyway, it's agreed that Hermes can keep the cows as long as he gives Apollo the lyre. It's a fair trade, I guess? But now what is Newborn gonna do with a herd of cows? Anyway, the lyre, though, goes on to become one of Apollo's signature identifiers. Since he's the god of music, it becomes his things. He's carrying around basically every painting, every sculpture, everywhere. So Hermes did him a real favor, if you ask me. Next up is Semele and the birth of Dionysus. Semele was a mortal woman, and as far as I know, she's the only mortal woman to spawn a full-blown god. There are lots of demigods out there, that's super common, but an Olympian god with a mortal mother, that is a rare feat. Semele was the daughter of Cadmus and Harmonia of Thebes, and we will get back to them because they're quite the pair. But for now, it's all about Semele. So Semele and Zeus had an affair, and this is one of those nice consensual ones, which is so rare, but a great feeling when it comes. But shocker of shockers, Hera finds out. She transforms herself into an old crone, or a nurse, depending what you read, and she befriends Semele, who confides in her. She tells the disguised Hera that, of course, she's pregnant and the father is Zeus, the king of the gods. Hera, in all her woman-blaming glory, decides to sow the seeds of doubt in Semele's mind. She acts as if she doesn't believe her. like. The father of your baby is who? I think you're delusional, girl. That's a pretty crazy claim. Which of course it is a pretty crazy claim. So Semele starts to doubt herself, just as Hera wanted. Now Semele doesn't know what's going on, so she confronts Zeus. She tells him he has to show himself to her for real, just to prove that he is in fact Zeus, king of the gods. This is not a smart request though, and Semele, she should have known better. The gods, you see, can't show themselves in their godlike form to humans. You remember, that's how Perseus' mom ended up having sex with gold falling from the ceiling. Zeus, being a semi-decent dude for once, begs her not to ask this of him. He tries to convince her of who he is any other way. What he doesn't tell her, though, is why he can't show himself to her, which, frankly, I think would have been more convincing than just, please don't ask me that, like, Go from that to, if I show you myself, you'll straight up die. Maybe she would have changed her mind, is all I'm saying. But Zeus doesn't do that, because he may be the king of the gods, but he's not the sharpest tool in the shed. Or sharpest needle in the tack, for my favorite murder fans out there. Nope. He appears to Semele in his true form, wreathed in lightning bolts, which probably looked pretty weird, Emily, of course, doesn't get to see this super weird apparition because she straight up bursts into flames. Awesome. Totally cool. Zeus then rescues baby Dionysus, who somehow survives his mom bursting into flames, because obviously Zeus cares more about his male offspring than for for the kid's mother, who he could've just said, I can't show you myself or you'll die, and everything would've been fine. So he rescues Dionysus by sewing him into his thigh. That's right. He takes the baby. He cuts open his own thigh, he puts the baby inside, and he sews it right back up again. Which, once more, is one of those reasons I love Greek mythology. Who thought that up? So a few months later, Dionysus is born on Mount Promnos on the island of Icaria when Zeus releases this now fully grown baby from inside his thigh. Again, totally normal. Because of this, Dionysus is said to have two mothers, Semele and Zeus, which seems pretty unfair to me. Zeus gets so much credit for doing, like, basically nothing. Like, you sewed a baby in your thigh. That's weird more than it is fatherly or even, like, let alone motherly. And there it is. It's, uh, the first half of this episode. Those are just the people Zeus got with. And then he made big bad Olympian gods, but believe me, there's a whole other slew that didn't result in Olympians and are just Zeus being creepy and weird and really quite troubling. Let's continue now with a small collection of other memorable instances of Zeus and his insatiable desire for women and one man, no matter the lengths he must go to. Number one, Io. Io was a priestess of Hera in the city of Argos. This was a city particularly aligned with Hera. Just as Athena reigned over Athens, Hera reigned over Argos. Io, as a good priestess to the goddess, is frequently hanging out and worshiping in the temple to Hera. Unfortunately, though, as a result of being so close to the queen of the gods, the king of the gods notices and he takes a creepy shine to Io. It is, of course, already very clear, but this is a bad thing. Zeus is kind of a pig. Zeus lusts after Io, and she continually rebuffs his advances. But Zeus can't take no for an answer, and... Depending on which story you read, eventually he either straight up rapes her or she gives in to him, which frankly isn't much better and probably, you know, was a way to sugarcoat what is otherwise a pretty awful story. In either case, Zeus sleeps with Io. But of course, he needs to hide this from his wife, because Zeus is a pig for sure, but Hera also has this really shitty habit of punishing the women rather than punishing the rapist. What a surprise, right? I mean, that would never happen today. <clears throat> anyway, so, eventually, in an effort to hide his affair with Io and hide Io herself, Zeus transforms her into a heifer. That's right, he turns her into a cow. Because he's an asshole. And apparently the only solution he can come up with is to turn this woman into a cow. We see, the trick is, he does this so that he can keep Io around. And so he can keep seeing her. Because apparently he was fine with the fact that he would keep seeing and being intimate with a cow. Teach their own. I mean, again, the lengths he will go to. Hera, of course, she finds out who the cow really is. Because, like I said earlier, spoilers, she always does. But also, like, why would Zeus just have a cow hanging around? Honestly. And she tricks Zeus into giving her Io. Hera says she wants the heifer as a present, and Zeus obviously has no way of refusing this request without making it obvious why he doesn't want her having this particular cow, so he gives her Io as a gift. But also, is it really a gift, as someone had to ask? Hera, knowing full well who she actually has on her hands, then sends one of her loyal followers, a fellow by the name of Argus Panoptes, to watch over Io and prevent Zeus from getting at her. Argus would act as her guard, following her wherever she went. You see, Argus Panoptes is no ordinary guy. He has a hundred eyes, so there'll never be a moment when I was not trapped under his gaze. But also, it makes him really ugly. Like, he's like 90% eyes. Just picture that. Again, Greek mythology. He must look like a real freak, but he's ever helpful to Hera zeus though he just can't keep away from the women he wants so he sends hermes his little messenger down to distract argus and eventually hermes slays him it's not clear if zeus asked him to do that or if hermes just got a little carried away either way dude's dead and hera is totally distraught this was her guy Little side note, eventually to honor Argus, she places his hundred eyes into the feathers of a peacock, which is why they look like eyes. I just think that's adorable. Though, more importantly, perhaps most importantly, that's where J.K. Rowling got the first name of the character Filch, the caretaker from Harry Potter. His name is Argus Filch because he sees all, almost as if he has a hundred eyes. J.K., you are the queen. But our story isn't done yet. With Argus now disposed of, and Hera horribly depressed about it, Zeus, good husband that he is, not actually, frees Io. But Hera, totally pissed, sends a gadfly to just follow Io around forever, just continually stinging her, just always. Because at this point, the poor woman is still a cow. Eventually Io is turned back into a woman, thank god, and of course Zeus learns no lessons, and he still can't keep his hands off of her, and they end up having a couple of kids. The moral of the story here is, there have always been awful men in this world, and there have always been women who will blame the victim. Honestly, Hera, why didn't you just turn Zeus into a cow and then have him continually stung?
0: When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed, cassettes burned, you could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules, and yet?
3: Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Number two, Europa. Europa is the daughter of a Phoenician king. Phoenicia, at this time, was a civilization on the Mediterranean coast of the Middle East, like Lebanon, Syria, Israel kind of area doesn't actually matter, but it's a bit of ancient history. So Europa, she's another mortal that Zeus just can't keep his bloody hands off of. She's young though, like a teenager, so extra gross. Obviously that doesn't matter to Zeus. He decides he wants her, and his solution in this case is just straight up abduction. But there's a trick. Zeus can't show himself to Europa, we know this already. I'm not clear how this applies to Io, you can just push that out of the way. She never blew up. Continuity isn't always a thing in Greek mythology. What can I say? In the case of Europa, Zeus cannot show himself to her. So since he can't just roll up all white bearded and holding a thunderbolt, instead, he transforms himself into a white bull. An obvious way to seduce a woman if I've ever heard one. So his bull self strolls up to where Europa and her friends are hanging out by the sea. And basically, he just pulls the cute animal card. He strolls up. Acts all tame and social, and Europa takes totally takes the bait. She's all over this bull, petting it and fawning over it. She's talking baby talk, the whole shebang. She has no idea it's actually a creepy old man trying to rape her. Eventually, she climbs right up onto his back. Zeus takes this opportunity, and he leaps out into the sea and just starts swimming. Europa can't get away. I think we have to assume she can't swim, so she's basically just holding on while this mystery bull carries her off into the ocean totally normal. No reason to panic. Zeus takes Europa to Crete, where he almost certainly rapes her, but she also becomes queen, so silver lining, I guess? Not really. Her brother, Cadmus, of the Cadmus and Harmonia I mentioned earlier, he ultimately goes on quite the quest to help find his beloved sister. Basically, Europa never makes it home. She stays as queen of Crete, and she and Zeus have a slew of kids, including the famous Minos, who becomes king and plays quite the role in future myths of the bull variety. Because of this Europa Zeus origin story of Crete, the people there really had a thing for bulls, to say the least. Number three Thalia. Thalia is a nymph. She's the daughter of the god Hephaestus. Zeus appears to her as an eagle. He swoops down, carries her away. Then he rapes her by a river in Sicily, and when he fears Hera will find out, he buries her in the ground. That's right, he just straight up buries her. Super chill. Number four, Agena. Speaking of eagles, Zeus also appeared as an eagle to abduct Agena, also a nymph. Her father pursues Zeus, trying to get her back. It's pretty sad this is such a rare response as to be actually heartwarming. People almost never try to save the women that Zeus just like takes off with. But Zeus won't let a pesky father deter him from his goals. He rapes Aegina on an island, and he throws his thunderbolts at her father, forcing him to give up and return home. The island, though, then takes her name, and but Hera, in all her misplaced anger, sends a plague. Number five, Ganymede. Once more with feeling, Zeus transforms himself into an eagle and visits, this time, a boy named Ganymede. He's just minding his own business, tending to his flock of sheep. Zeus abducts Ganymede and brings him up to Mount Olympus to be both his cupbearer and a virtual sex slave. Zeus is an equal opportunities abductor, which is kind of nice, but if you look at the details, Zeus does way more awful things to women, like... He abducts this boy, but then he takes him up to Mount Olympus. Like, you basically just took them up to the kingdom of the gods. Like, he has to be your cupbearer and, I mean, your sex slave. That's not great. But basically, I mean, let's just compare it. The one guy that Zeus abducts and he gets pretty golden treatment by comparison. He also gives Ganymede's father some horses in return for, you know, abducting his son and basically holding him hostage for the rest of his life. Whatever. Whatever. Number six, Leda. No more eagles, but don't worry, we're staying on the bird train. Leda is the daughter of an Aetolian king and the wife of King Tyndarius of Sparta. Leda, as a beautiful and powerful woman, cannot escape Zeus's notice. As is his habit, he sees her from afar and decides he just can't stop himself. He has to have her. But, like with Europa, he can't just appear to Leda and seduce her that way. He has to trick her. Ever creative, Zeus appears in the form of a swan. This poor defenseless swan is fleeing a pursuing eagle. Ancient Greeks really like to take advantage of women that have, I don't know, compassion and like animals. It's real flaw, ladies. This is particularly notable, though, and also with the previous times that Zeus just transformed himself into an eagle, because the eagle is a symbol of Zeus. Like, that's his animal, I guess. It's just something that makes it even more skeezy in the previous stories and just kind of weird in this one. Anyway, Zeus is a swan, a beautiful creature that appears to Lita, and it's just, it's terrified, and it's just trying to escape this eagle. Lita, a decent human being, an all-around nice woman, wants to help. Little does she know, it's actually a creepy old man god. Somehow, Zeus ends up having sex with her as a swan, which, frankly, is a troubling thought. To swans, I mean want to have penises? I don't know. Birds are weird. Anyway, they do it. It's super weird. And of course, it also happens on the same night that she also happens to have sex with her husband. The result is two eggs. That's right. Eggs. Two of them. She lays eggs. From these eggs ultimately hatch Helen, eventually of Troy fame, Clytemnestra, eventually of much, much tragedy, and Castor and Pollux. Castor and Pollux are also characters in the Hunger Games trilogy, but that's always pissed me off, frankly, because I don't see any relevant connection to the guys from mythology. Missed opportunity, if you ask me. Number seven, Danae. You'll remember Danae from the Perseus episode, which was, of course, last episode, so it would be hard for you to forget. But just another quick rundown, because what is a list of creepy ways Zeus slept with women if it leaves out the shower of gold? Danae is the daughter of Acrisius. Acrisius learns that there's a prophecy, never a good thing, that her, a child of hers will overthrow him. So, of course, he locks her in a tower, totally chill. But Zeus can't keep his hands away, and in all his creepy, creepy wisdom devises a manner in which to come to Danae in the night. And this might be his weirdest plan ever. He appears in Danae's room as a shower of gold, a physical shower of gold. A shower of gold falls from the ceiling and somehow has sex with her and impregnates her. And of course, nothing Zeus does is without consequences to the woman he does it to. When Danae has the child, King Acrisius is of course immediately terrified. He locks the child in Danae in a wooden crate and he sets him out to sea. As we know, ultimately she's saved. Percy is her her son. Things end up really well for her, which is super rare. So we should hold her as a real example of goodness, I suppose. Number eight, Lamia. Lamia is a beautiful queen of Libya, depicted as a white woman in artwork, which totally doesn't make sense and isn't racist at all. Lamia is a mistress of Zeus. And of course, Hera finds out and is not happy about this. You've heard this before. I know. Lamia is a bit different, though. Hera's punishment in this case is to kill all of Lamia's children and transform her into a monster that hunts and eats other children. Because Hera is totally pro-woman and not at all awful. Number nine, Electra. This Electra is actually the sister of Maya, who, of course, is the mother of Hermes. So Electra is also one of the Pleiades. And Zeus just likes getting with sisters, I guess? Zeus seduces her and she bears him a child. From what I read, I think he actually, air quotes, seduced all of the Pleiades, like a whole family of sisters. So that's really cool. Number 10, Themis. Themis is a titan. She's the embodiment of natural law and order. She holds the scales of justice, which become more famous when the Romans adopted it into their own mythology. But Themis is the origin. She's not blind, though. That's the Roman thing. Or it might be the American thing. Don't even know. The point is, she's not blind. She holds the scales. Themis is an all-around badass. She built the Oracle at Delphi, where the ancient world sought their prophecies. She was basically the law. When she was disregarded, good old Nemesis came around to fuck shit up. Nemesis is the goddess of just and wrathful retribution. Another badass. Themis presides over the idea of a proper relationship between a man and a woman. A little more than ironic given she was apparently a second wife to zeus something hera almost certainly didn't appreciate with zeus famous had a slew of kids the horai four goddesses who are the personifications of the seasons and represent time horai means the hours the Moare, who were the fates three women whose job it was to control the fate of basically every human one of them was in charge of spreading the thread of a person's life another in charge of measuring it and the third in charge of cutting the life thread at the end of a person's life. Again, these are the ladies that were conflated with the gray eye in Disney's Hercules. You remember the gray eye? The women who shared one eye and a tooth? It's cool, ladies. The fates were less scary, but what they did was pretty awesome. Like, so basically, it's like they start your life with this string, and then the measuring is like how long you'll live, and then they cut it and you die. I just think that's fucked and also awesome. Number 11, Mnemosyne. Mnemosyne is also a titan. She's the personification of memory, which is pretty cool. And her name is probably my favorite word in ancient Greek mythology. Mnemosyne. Just try to spell it. I dare you. Zeus got with Mnemosyne and she ultimately gave birth to the nine muses. You know, the muses, nine ladies who handled, I guess, creativity and different things about the world. They're really cool. I'm not going to try to say their names because frankly i'm having trouble finding a list and also i'm gonna pronounce it all awfully but basically you know it's like they had one for music and they had one for memory and poetry and everything awesome and good in the world that's all to say sometimes zeus did some good but mostly it was the women's doing let's be perfectly honest
0: when the taliban banned music in afghanistan
1: And there it is, the really troubling story of Zeus and his many, many escapades. Frankly, it just seems like it had to be done in one episode of just a list. You know, there's not too much story to it, so I apologize. But I think it's really important to note how slutty, I don't want to use the word slutty because it's always meant towards women, but you know, like how it's amazing that Zeus could do this stuff. Like, that this was the king of the gods. This was the guy they worshipped. And, yeah, like, the gods were flawed in their eyes. Like, so much more than Christianity's god is flawed. They had real problems and they were human. They cheated on their wives and everything. But, like, basically they were still the gods. And the idea that they came up with this many stories about men doing such awful things is... I think troublingly indicative of how it was in ancient Greece. And I mean, that's true based on the history and everything anyway, but I mean, just the idea that someone came up with this and they were like, Hey, yeah, like let's have the king of the gods just like rape everyone. How's that? Right. Like, that's a great idea. That's perfect. Anyway, on that note, thank you so much for listening. This has been really exciting for me. I've been wanting to do this for so long. I absolutely love talking about myths and telling myths. And now I have to do so much research. It's like homework that I never thought I'd have. But I really appreciate that the world is giving me this uh, outlet for a sort of semi-educational ranting. It's much appreciated. And now that we're getting farther along in the podcast, and I'm going to keep going, hopefully have more story-based ones, I've just got to come up with the time to write everything. I don't want to focus entirely on heroes, and unfortunately, male heroes are basically where we get all our, like, full-blown stories, but more to come. In the meantime, I'd really like to ask anyone listening to just do me a favor. If you like this please rate and review in iTunes. It really helps me get higher on the charts. And so it helps other people discover it. And I would really like it if other people were learning these crazy things about myths and, you know, how awful ancient men were. You know, tell your friends. Tell anyone. Share the love. I started on Instagram. It's at MythsBaby and a Twitter. It's also at MythsBaby, but I haven't tweeted yet. There will be a Facebook when I get around to coming up with enough pictures to put on it, just even that one cover photo, guys, it's just, I got to find something that's that long. It's a hard life. Anyway, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter in the meantime, and thank you so much. I'll be back next week with I don't know what yet because I haven't done the homework, but it'll be something good. Thank you so much. I'm Liv, and I love this shit.